So today we're going to be talking about the first step in the order of salutis, or the order of salvation, uh, effectual calling. Um, the order of salvation, as Chris mentioned last week, is really more of a logical uh, than chronological order. Uh, so while many of the steps in this order of salvation may actually happen at the same time from our perspective, there's in general logical flow from one to the other throughout um, for the most part. As Chris met, used the phrasing last time, there's kind of a cause and effect or causality with some of these things. So there can be one cause with two or three effects, uh, as we'll see later on as we go. Um, I'm going to take this moment real quick to mention my sources, my main sources, uh, Saved by Grace by Anthony Hokema, but mostly uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. So within our salvation, there are two calls uh, that are related to our salvation, but that are distinct still. Uh, there's the universal call of the gospel offered to all people. And then there's effectual calling, which we're going to be learning about today. And that's the call that ushers men into a state of salvation and is therefore effectual. However, there are some, in fact quite a few people, see this as a false distinction and say that there is no such effectual call. Um, they say there's just the general call of the gospel, and people respond to it or don't respond to it uh, with faith. Um, so I'm going to take a, probably the first quarter of this class or so to uh, look at some passages, quite a few passages actually, which show that there is such a thing as an effectual call that's distinctive yet related to the gospel call. And then afterwards we'll look at five different aspects of effectual calling if we have time, hopefully for all of them, uh, which I have with the exception of one point taken straight from Murray's book. Uh, they are the author of the call, the nature of the call, the pattern, the inability of unregenerate man to respond to God, or his call, which you can probably tell that's the one not taken from Murray, not nearly as pithy, and then the priority. Um, but first, let's take a look at the biblical evidence for effectual calling. And as I said, we're going to be looking at quite a few passages. Um, I'm going to be asking people to read. I'm not going to be asking particular people to read, but just in general, if there's a lot of passages, I'll be reading some too, but uh, just uh, in general, if it's going to be kind of like a Bible drill day. So uh, first we're going to go to 2 Peter 1.10, and if someone would be willing to read that. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm, confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what does this particular passage teach us about calling? What does it say about that? Say we're supposed to Confirm it, is that right? No, make it sure in the ESV. Um, so, if this is a passage talking about just the gospel call, and which is something that we respond to with faith, and that's what saves us, is there a different way that maybe this would logically be phrased in that, if that was the case? If that question's not clear, I can... Try and phrase it differently. <clears throat> Sorry, my questions, I guess, don't make as much sense <laughs> as they do to me. Uh, so, if if it's the if it's the response, not the call, that's saving us. Logically, it would say in this passage, make your faith, your response to this call sure. Because that's what we would be looking to for assurance. Because in this passage, we're really, it's really focusing in on assurance. How can we know that we're saved? It says make your calling sure, not your, your faith. Um, and also, it, it, it notice in this passage it says your calling and election. Um, I don't know the Greek there, but Murray makes the point that it's, it's one pronoun for those two words, calling and election. It's not your calling and your election. There seems to be something which links these two together. They're still distinct. They're still different things. But they seem to be linked together. And the election, of course, is God's choosing whom he's going to save. 
So let's look at a couple more passages, and hopefully this will become more clear. Uh, next, we'll look at Romans 1, 6 and 7. Someone could read that. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, what does this say about calling in this passage? It, these aren't necessarily trick questions. Well, it's referring to uh, it's referring to the church here as those who are called to belong to Jesus and called to be saints. Yeah. So, again, if this were the gospel call. If this was to all those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, then this would be just to everyone who actually heard that. And which is, that's not what this is. It's not to all the Romans who heard the gospel call. This is to those who belong to Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, and also there's, notice there's love by God and call to be saints. Um, so let's, any questions? Okay, let's flip over a few chapters to Romans 8. And we're going to be looking at Romans 8.30, which is, as Chris kind of mentioned last week, it's kind of the main, if you're going to pick one verse for the Order of Salutis, this is kind of it. Um, really, you can't pick one verse. It's You have to go through several verses. But this is kind of the main verse, which everything else is built around in some ways. Now I'll go ahead and read this one. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, how many of those that he predestined did he also call? 100%. 100%. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Not some of them? Is that? Well, <laughs> let's say 100% at the, at the, end, of, at the yes. end of all things. Yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> Not all those whom he has predestined are called today. Yes, that's true. But... Yes, by the end, all those who, those whom he predestined, he also calls, and those whom he calls, how many of them are justified? All, all of them. Yeah, there, there is. Again, if, if this were just the universal call of the gospel, anyone who heard the gospel call would immediately be justified, immediately be saved. Well, maybe not immediately, but they would be saved at some point. Um, but that is not the case as we find it. So this has to be referring to something different. And it, does, it seems to be drawing us in this line from one to the other to the other. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1 real quick. Oops. And I'm going to read verse 9, and then we're going to jump down to verses 22 through 24 after that. Um, so God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So first of all, God is faithful, not us in this. Um, but also it says called into the fellowship. There's a sense of drawing, it seems like, in this verse. We're not just called to be with Jesus, but we're called into the fellowship, with the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Um, but then if you really want, I think it's one of the clearest passages about it. We're going to go down to verses 22 through 24. If someone could read that. For Jews demand signs and in Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, how are the Jews and Greeks distinguished from the ones who are the power of God and wisdom of God for those it's folly and foolishness and stumbling block? Could you say that again? So we have the the Jews and the Greeks who, for Christ crucified, it's folly, it's a stumbling block, not in that order. And then we have the ones that's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Is there a distinguishing term in there that kind of separates those? Those who are called. Those who are called. Yeah. And again, this can't refer to the just the general call of the gospel because it's it's everyone who's called. It's the distinguishing thing between those who are saved and those who are not saved. There seems to be some sort of efficacious call that happens when people are saved. 
And I'm, I'm sorry, I meant to mention these verses earlier, but there, are, there is a the general call of the gospel that God issues to people. Um, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, he's not saying, some of you who are weary and heavy laden, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, but not any, not everyone responds to that call. We read in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, in Second Peter one, we saw kind of that linkage between calling and election. But here, in that Matthew twenty-two fourteen, many are called, but few are chosen. There seems to be some sort of separ- separation that's different from the distinction with the other two. Um, but yet, there is something from our perspective. They are somewhat related. And so I, I want to look really quick at Acts 13, 44 through 47. If someone would be willing to read that. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning it to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. You may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Yeah. So what we have here in this passage is, and they're they're going to be preaching the gospels of the Gentiles. In fact, that's what they're doing right now, and uh, um, they're issuing the call of the gospel that God has said, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest." And so then, what happens in verse 48? You can read that. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Okay. So who believed in this context? Those who were appointed to eternal life. Those who were predestined and called. Yeah. And with that too, is it all the Gentiles in the world that were appointed to eternal life that believed at this moment? <clears throat> Just the ones that heard this call at this time who were appointed to eternal life. Um, the general means from our perspective that God uses to bring people to himself is still a gospel call. Now, there is a distinct call, is a is a effectual call that actually brings people, but we are still called to present the gospel to people. Is there any questions or am I saying anything wrong here that people want to correct? Or if, I, if I do it, sorry. Um, but if you look at, uh, which is, this is why we have missions. This is why we have evangelism. Uh, Romans 10, 14 through 17. I'm just going to read that real quick. It's a very well-known passage. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So... Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So, from our perspective, God uses our preaching of the gospel, or just people reading the word, to bring people to faith. But at the same time, there is this distinct, yet somehow, there's this distinct efficacious call that he actually saves people, that actually um, brings people life. Clear as mud? Any questions, comments? No, I think I see it as um, the distinction being there's a, a physical auditory. Someone is speaking, preaching the mm-hmm. word of God, but those whom God has identified, He is working internally with that auditory mm-hmm. word. He's working internally mm-hmm. inside them yeah. to bring about repentance and faith. Yeah, no, that's how I uh, how I see it. Yeah, that's probably clearer than what I was saying. Um, so we're not going to jump into the first point of the five points not Calvinism of this <coughs> lesson uh, and that's the author so let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1.9 real quick 
So in that verse, and we basically already said this in some ways, who is the one who is actually calling? God is. God is. No, not, it was not your question, I think. Uh, now, slightly trickier question. Is there a particular person of the Trinity who is calling in that verse? I would say God the Father. God, God, yeah. God the Father. Because yeah. it specifically says God calling you to fellowship with his son. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it says his son, his not just the son. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Murray makes this point. It's only the father that the son is the son in relation to. It's, he is the only begotten of the father. So you can't have, say his son in relation to anyone else. Uh, another passage which speaks to that is uh, Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18. I think it is. I lost my place. Yeah, that's it. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, or the riches of his glorious inheritance in the states. And for me, I was like, well, with the pronouns and everything, can you really tell who he's talking about? I mean, you can, but it might be a little bit complicated. But if you keep going on, it says... Um, and that which is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. This is still speaking of the Father here. He's the one who calls. And really quickly, I'll go over a couple more verses that show it. Um, uh, Romans 8, 29 through 30. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the first born among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, and so on and so forth. And then the other one is Galatians 1, 15 and 16. It says, uh, sorry, one second. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. Um, this is, yeah, this is the father that, uh, that calls us. And Murray makes the point, and I think it's a very good point, that this is this is something we should really uh, grab hold of, that we should remember. The Father is not far away when it comes to our application. Uh, you know, all the Trinity is at, is there, is at work in some way or another with each of the parts of our redemption. There is a distinct, there is a person who is mostly at work, who's, they have distinct things that they do, uh, the Son is the one who accomplishes our salvation on the cross. However, the Father is, is there, as we know. He, uh, the Son bears the wrath of the Father for on our behalf. Uh, our election, obviously, is with the Father. Uh, but here at the very beginning of the order syllabus, the application of our redemption to us, the Father is there calling us. Uh, we can sometimes, I know for me, think of the Father as as far away or is like or is really just not much of a father in some ways we 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 don't much think of him like a father sometimes because uh, we think of him as the wrath uh, the one who has the wrath towards us or whatever but no god is the one who chose us he loved us from eternity past god the father and he's also the one who calls us here he loves us and is bringing us to himself all right we're now going to go that's it for the author we're now going to go into the nature and there's there are a lot of verses here sorry and basically with this point we're going to be looking at different characteristics different adjectives that you can use with the, our calling Romans 4.17 if someone would be willing to read that as it is written I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do exist. Or that do not exist. Do not exist, yes. That's actually... Very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a very important distinction. Yes. <laughs> so what does this verse teach us about our calling? God's calling. We are dead and he calls us to life. God takes things that don't exist and just by speaking, by calling, they now exist. Um, I, I, I mean, I think 
the closest thing we have to this call here on earth in some ways is probably uh, just like a, a, a summons, like a court summons or some government summons, as far as something that has authority and power that compels us to come. We can still refuse, though, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't have to go. Uh, there might be consequences for that, but we don't have to go. <clears throat> With this, though, God calls things into existence that didn't exist. Um, this is, I'm going to read real quick. You don't have to turn there. Uh, if you don't want to. John 11, 41 through 44. And this is the story of when Lazarus died. Um, and halfway through that verse, Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. <clears throat> Does anyone happen to remember what happens? Exactly. He comes out. <laughs> Yes, and it's not just that, for the record, that the Bible makes it very clear that he wasn't like asleep in there, that they had mistaken anything. In this next verse it says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Right, so this man had several things that would have naturally prevented him from coming out. He was dead. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And yet God speaks, and it compels him to come out. He cannot resist this summons. This is a creative, efficacious summons. God is very powerful. All right, so next point. Uh, Galatians 1.15. These are going to be very short points for the most part. Uh, can someone read that? But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. Yeah. So what do we learn about calling here? Set apart before we were born. Yeah. Set apart for this calling before we were born. Yeah. Anything specifically about calling? It's by his grace. He doesn't have to call any of us. Yeah. Yeah. As a, with all, all our salvation, it's, it's by grace. We don't deserve it. Right. Short point. Um, unless someone wants to talk about that at all. Um, let's go to Romans 11. Verse 29. Someone would be willing to read that. Verse 29. Mm-hmm. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So, what does this verse teach us about our calling? Once it's been given, it will not be taken away. Irrevocable, will not be called back, will not be taken back. Yeah. Uh, so, in Romans 8 28 through 30, you know, it, it, we. Verse 30, really. We had that whole thing where those who be predestined, he also called. Those who be called, he also justified. Those who be justified, he also glorified. We kind of have already talked about this, but once God starts with his foreknowledge and predestination, is there any stopping or sidetracking before we reach glorification? No. It just goes all the way through. He doesn't take it back. He doesn't stop the process. Those who he called, he, he calls, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he glorifies. It is, it's irrevocable. Any questions, comments? We can turn to Philippians three fourteen. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what does this tell us about our calling? Well, he calls us to do good works. He calls us. I mean, it is, he has called us and we, we're justified, but through that calling... He calls us to press on for him. Mm-hmm. 
Press on, yeah. And press on towards what? Towards Jesus Christ. Yeah. It says the the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, no, it's a this is a call that has a direction to it. It's, it's an upward call. It's to Christ Jesus. And yes, this Mark was making a very good point. It's uh, we're not uh, just supposed to sit idly by with that. It's like you, the um, there's a purpose there's a purpose to the call, mm-hmm. and I see it as like. I'm working towards that purpose yes. for which I was called yes. Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's a prize uh, for it. Yeah. All right, so let's go to uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. Someone can read that. Mm-hmm. 2 Timothy 1.9? Mm-hmm. That would be... Um, well, I'll start at verse 8. Kind of middle, if you want to. Yeah. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus for the ages began. So, how does this verse describe our calling? It's holy. It's a holy calling. Um... And uh, in Romans 1 7, that we read earlier, said to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Um, I'm not sure if that's definitive sanctification or progressive sanctification that's talking about there, but either way, um, this calling is holy in its origin, it comes from God, and it produces holiness in us. Because if for those who might not, if, if, in case there's any confusion, the basic definition of a saint is someone who is set apart or is holy. Um, that saint and sanctified have uh, similar roots. All right, let's turn to Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, as this verse, um, how does it describe our calling? It's heavenly. Yeah. In First uh, Peter three ten, we also read, "And after you have suffered a little while, for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ." Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, eternal glory in Christ—that's that's heaven. Yeah, it's a heavenly call, kind of going with that whole upward call that we were talking about earlier. It's it's a heaven heaven bound. It's a high calling. It's a holy calling. It's a heavenly calling. In First Corinthians one nine earlier we read, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. God, the Father, is high, holy, and heavenly. He's in heaven, and he's holy, holy, holy. And he calls us, so it makes sense that that call would be that way, and and directed that way. And we've been called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, who is high and lifted up. He's holy, and he is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, it, it, this calling is that way because this is the character of the God who calls us and who calls us to himself. Um, in Ephesians 4.1, if you wouldn't turn there real quick, um, this is kind of, speaks a little bit more about one of the points Mark was saying earlier. Someone would be willing to read that. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what does this teach us about our calling? It says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Yeah. It, and as was I mentioned earlier, it's uh, this is not a passive calling. We are called to action. Yeah. Um, but as we learned earlier, it's it's still a gracious call. It's by grace. This is not work salvation or anything no, like that. 
No, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which we have been called. Uh, in Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, the right hand of God. And uh, so, yes, we are called to live in a manner worthy of this calling, uh, this high calling, this holy calling, this heavenly calling. That's, that's, a, that's a big, big uh, commitment there. Um, but thankfully, it is from grace that he does this. But yet, well, and, and I think it also demonstrates the the power of God. I think in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. even with our sanctification, we're we're involved yes. in that, and we sometimes mistakenly think it's so. Therefore, it sort of shows our yes. faithfulness. But really, it's it's not. When you talk about that, I mean, we we cannot help but live. If a if a person's heart has been changed and they have been called, yes, they will live accordingly. You know, yes. not perfectly. There's the battle. There's that yes. struggle. But God is powerful. He is victorious, and and He will accomplish that. Yeah. As yeah. you're looking at First Corinthians one nine, I said God is faithful. Yeah. And He's the one who's He's not our faith necessarily. Um, no. Uh, does anyone? I think Chris maybe asked this last week. Remember uh, question 35 of the Shorter Catechism was sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of a sin and misery enlightening... Was that the wrong question? That's, yeah, that's a different question. That's oh. a good question. I love that one. Sanctification is the work of God's Spirit. It's actually God's grace. It's the work of God's grace. Whereby we are whereby, renewed. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man and the after the image of God the image of God and only more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness yes it's it's uh, God enabling us it's God's grace um, yes there is something we are doing but it's all really of God still in the end thank you very much um, alright so that's kind of the nature it's, it's that powerful creative summons it's gracious immutable high holy heavenly we're called to worth to live worthily of it. Any questions before we move on to the next point? Next next section. <clears throat> Alright. This is... We're actually going to slow down a little bit. This next section is all from one verse. 2 Timothy 1.9. Uh, uh, chapter 1 oh. verse 9 and we were here a little bit ago actually um, I'll go on and read it who saved us and called us to a holy calling this is talking about God not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began so what do we learn about the reason for our call here in Second Timothy why is it that we were called it's by God's purpose, for uh, by God's purpose and grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to say anything more without it? Well, and it's, it also specifies that it's before the ages began. Yeah. This this calling, this predestination, was before creation. Yeah. The the calling was decided before. Yes. The ages yeah. began. We were not yes. called before the yes. ages. Yes. No. Um, but yes, no. There, there. Uh, Murray makes the point in this book. So it's uh, there is. This is not something that God is doing randomly. Uh, this is not God just spontaneously deciding to do something. God is a God of order. Case in point, understanding the order of Salutis. But uh, He decided to call us because of His purpose. He's purposing something. He's determining something here, and. As Mark already gone right on to the second point here, it's an eternal purpose, right? Before the ages began, before time began. Um, so uh, one last little point with this section: um, Is there any other member of the Trinity that seems to be somewhat involved here? Specifically mentioned in this verse. Oh, in this verse. With this purpose. 
Well, he gave it to us in Christ Jesus. He gave it to us in Christ Jesus. Do you want to elaborate on that? or? Um, no. Oh, okay. No. Uh, yeah, no, it's just, again, just showing that God is one. He's three persons, but he's one. And and even, and again, we shouldn't be surprised that with the Trinity is all at play here. Uh, we don't really see the Spirit particularly in this verse, but His purpose was established in Christ Jesus. Um, it was not uh, just the Father uh, deciding this uh, by Himself. Um, really quickly, uh, do we have time? I think we have time to track for this. We're going to turn to John 6, and we're going to look at three verses in John 6, and just to see really quickly how... Um, the entire Trinity is at work here in the application of our salvation. And first we'll look at John 6, verse 44. Someone can read that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see in this verse that it's the Father who's drawing us. Or, I mean, this is basically calling us here. He's bringing us in. Um, and he's do, He's bringing us to Christ. No one can come to me. That's Jesus speaking. And we, read, we learn that he'll raise us up on the last day. Uh, can someone read verse 37? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Yeah. So all that the Father gives to him, all that he's drawing to him, uh, will come to him, and he will never cast them out. Again, just that gift and calling of God at your vocal. And then uh, verse 63. It is the the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and and life. So what we see in these three verses are just kind of as a general pattern here for our salvation. It's God the Father who's calling us. You're drawn by Him to the Son uh, who never casts us out. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives life, the Holy Spirit. So just you can see the entire Trinity at work here in the application of our redemption. And by the way, in case you're wondering where I'm getting that phrase, application of redemption, because I've used it a couple times, it's, it's in the title of this book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Um, all right, so that's going to lead in very nicely now to uh, our, my, our uh, fourth point, which is the inability of unregenerate man to respond to God. So let's turn over back a few chapters to John chapter 3, verse 3. And just to be clear, we're not going to see anything about calling in these verses. We're specifically looking at unregenerate man and, and if he can respond to God. 3 3. Mm-hmm. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, what do we, what do we see here in this verse? Someone has to be born again, or it doesn't specifically say calling, but we've already established that you cannot be called without mm-hmm. uh, without going. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and, and again, you don't have to look for calling in these verses. It's it's not there. Um, yes, there is. If you look in the rest of the scripture, you can definitely bring it in. But but yeah, no, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And I hope I'm not feeling. Any thunder from Chris or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the main term in a lot of ways that is used for regeneration in the scriptures is born again. Uh, we're given new life. Um, so, yeah, unless we're born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. So we're learning a little bit there. Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. Mm-hmm. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
So what do we learn about the natural man or the unregenerate man here? Because he's uh, he can't accept them because they're followed him. They're spiritual discernment. He does not accept them, right? And then, yeah, he said, is completely unable to. Yeah, so can't see the kingdom, does not accept the things of God. In fact, can't understand them. All right, um, I'm going to read this real quick. You don't have to turn there. Romans 3, there's a famous passage. And Romans 3.11, um, I'm going to read just a little bit before it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This is describing the people who, the natural state of, of people outside of Christ. So, and if you want to turn to Romans 8 now, but not verses 28 through 30, we're actually going to, be somewhere else in Romans 8. We get to see a whole different three verses in Romans 8. So Romans 8, 7 through 9. If someone would be willing to read that. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what does this passage say about? Our subject. If you are living in the flesh, you cannot please God. But if you are not in the flesh but of the Spirit... Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, it says you're hostile to God. Yes, yes you're hostile to God. Mind is, uh, it does not submit to God's law. Yeah, that's the other thing it says. Uh, it cannot. Yeah, so, I mean, we're getting a pretty clear picture here right now. Like, you can't see the kingdom, right? Can't, uh, does not accept, in fact, cannot understand the things of God. Does not seek for God. And uh, is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So the last uh, verses we're going to look at really quick because we're running out of time here on this subject is Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And I'll go ahead and read them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what's our condition in this verse? Outside of God, we're dead, and 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 that's basically what we've been seeing in the previous verses. We're we can't do anything, but then we drop down to verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um. We cannot respond because we are hostile to God. We don't submit to God's law. We don't understand the things of God. We don't seek for God. In fact, we're dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Now, we're going to do one last point. Romans 4.17, we'll turn back there. We were here earlier. It says, uh, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Um, so this is uh, this points the priority to regeneration and specifically why it is the first step in the order of salutis and why not regeneration. Uh, in, there's a very clear parallel for this in uh, the scripture. Back in Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light, what happens? There's light. light. And God says, let creeping things crawl on the face of the earth, let let man come to being, like all that sort of thing. I guess with man, he forms his own joke. But when he says all those other things, what happens? Happens. What he said happens, yeah. Um, This is... And we saw this with uh, Jesus, with Lazarus, when he praised the Father. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. The way that God called, brings us uh, new life calls us to new, he, is that he calls us life. He says, come to me, and we come. Have new life. 
we have new life. Um, so effectual calling is prior to regeneration, which is prior to man's response, which is faith and repentance. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, again, it said, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful to bring us into fellowship with Christ on us. We are unable to respond without his effectual calling, which produces new life in us. Any questions? All right, I have a question. Are there any applications, and we've talked about some, that we can draw from this doctrine? our daily life? There's actually a lot. (laughs) 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 You want to give us a couple? (laughs) Well, you know, just even as you you think about this and and your faith in Christ, it it cannot uh, lend itself to pride. No. Because this is not something that that I chose to do over my best friend or my neighbor or whoever. You know, this this is very humbling, actually, you Mm -hmm. should think about that. But uh, even I think in in our our walk with the Lord, daily walk with the Lord and sanctification, it also reminds us that the power of God is at work in our lives. Yes. And so at times when we might be tempted to be discouraged or to give up or whatever, to know that that God has begun something and God is doing something mightily in our lives as well. And He's going to continue it until it's complete. Any other points of application? Anyone wants to mention? I think that it also uh, informs us and um, helps us understand the state of other people. If, say, we're speaking to others about the gospel, mm-hmm. um, to just to trust that our job is to, to speak, our job is to witness, our job is to um, declare the truth, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily, it's not our job to work anything in that person, but to understand that this might not have an immediate effect, but the spirit, that, but God could use it yes. and could work through it at a different time. But yeah. I, I don't know if I'm making, I'm being yeah, as clear no. as I, I should be, but um, yeah, so that uh, that could be something that happens further on down the line. Yeah. You know, and, and that even things that people have spoken in the past I know in my own life I remember much later on and come back to me and they're like that was a seed planted a long time ago yes and it is now it's bearing fruit yeah you know? God is using it now yeah, yeah. it's you no know, it, you mentioned it was a humbling thing just from our perspective as, as, as people have been saved but it's also a humbling thing in evangelism because if people come to faith it's not of us God might have used us but it's not from us it's from God um, and uh, but yeah, it's it's we we are called to be faithful to present that gospel, and uh, and I think the other main point of application we can bring from that is to pray, pray constantly for people, because it's it's God who's the one who who will take those seeds and, and bring them to life. Yeah. I I think it also rebukes us. Yes, because when we're timid to share the gospel, because we think. Oh, this person is too great of a sinner. They yes. won't. They won't be interested yes. or anything. It's really an affront on the character of God to think God is not able. Plus, I think sometimes we think there's more of us <laughs> in that presentation. Yes. Than really, you know that we have yes. more to do with the result, which we don't. Yeah. No, that is a very good point. And I remember Joel Beakey talking about calling. You know, we can think someone's beyond salvation. They're just headed off towards destruction, merrily or fervently or whatever, and just all of a sudden, out of the blue, God can suddenly call a person. And like Saul of Tarsus, stricken. And, uh, and yeah, it's God is an amazing God. Sorry, uh, it also helps that community too, though, in a sense, when you realize, you know, I could give the worst gospel presentation there is, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> still, somehow. Yeah. yeah. We should strive. To hopefully do better, <laughs> but yes, yes, we need to present the gospel, and it's but it's God who does it. I'm gonna close by reading three verses really quick. Um, this is I don't know if you noticed, but everything we've been looking at today has been the New Testament. 
Um, so I'm not going to read uh, some verses from the Old Testament. Isaiah 55. And if you have time today and you're looking for something to do, I encourage you to read this chapter. It's a short chapter of scripture. Somewhat short. Um, it starts out with uh, the general call that God issues. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is calling people who are not worthy, who cannot come of themselves to repent, to come to Christ um, out of His grace. And some people respond, some people don't. But it's good to remember this down in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's a glorious truth. So, anyways, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a loving Father who... Uh, has not left us in our sin, but has called us into fellowship with Christ by your power of your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, bless our time today, that we would sit under the preaching of your word and, and hear it, that your spirit would be at work in us, uh, sanctifying us, and that, uh, and Lord, that if there is anyone here um, uh, today, when the sermon is preached, who does not know you, Lord, and we pray that you would bring people in that don't know you, that they would, uh, that you would call them to yourself, that you would not leave them in this state of sin and misery, but that you would bring them into a state of salvation by your Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be bold to proclaim the gospel, um, and help us to live worthy the calling with which we have been called. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.